Uh, hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Leaving Footprints with your host Mia and Ankit. Uh, so Leaving Footprints aims to be a networking knowledge base where you can get insights on various fields and so far we've had a lot of good conversations from professionals in various fields like engineering, data science, and also creatives in photography, radio, and dance. So without further wait, I'm going to hand it off to Ankit to introduce today's guest. Yeah, thank you Mia. So for today's guest, we have Shashe, who's currently the data analytics lead at Google and is also pursuing a master's degree in computational data analytics at Georgia Tech. She has a lot of experiences in the field of data analytics, and we're extremely fortunate to have her today to speak with us and our listeners. I've had the pleasure of connecting with her through the Google Sandbox Summit event in 2020, uh, which I definitely recommend a lot of people who want to go into data analytics to check out. Uh, she has provided me a lot of insight and advice about my job search process and also data analytics. And I'm extremely excited to have her on today. So without further ado, welcome, Shashe. Thank you both. I'm very excited to be here and share this experience with you and be able to give back um, with just this podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you again for being here. I think the first question which we have is, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a first-generation Ethiopian-American, which really drove my interest in more social issues. Um, so I pursued a degree in international relations, which, funny enough, I don't do anything with, but it definitely informed the way I think about things and the way I view people and life, which is a really great skill to have when you're analyzing data because a lot of people try to disconnect data from the uh, social context, the business context. So if you don't have an expertise in thinking about an issue from multiple perspectives, you're not really able to push an analysis forward and communicate why it's important to other people. So I love my international relations background, um, even though I don't do anything with it. I also have like a strong break and uh, I'm a plant mom, so I'm actually launching a plant styling consultancy called oh, The Pursuit wow. of Plants. Um, yeah, so it'll be launching soon. It'll be the it'll be pursuitofplants.com. Um, okay. I'm hoping to launch at some point in May, so I'll definitely keep you two posted as well. Yeah, so yeah we'll be happy mom. to share it. We'll be happy to share <laughs> the information about it in our description also, so our listeners can also check it out. Yay! I love that. That idea seems so like novel. It seems so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a new interest, uh, industry. I'm pretty sure there are very few people doing plant styling for people's homes and for businesses mm -hmm. um, and marketing it as such. But the pandemic and everyone's new plant hobby has definitely kicked it off more. Right, right. Yeah, so to kind of follow up with what you were saying, your, since your background is specifically in analytics, what kind of drove you to pursue that career in analytics? My um, first job out of college was actually in just general consulting. So most of my interview was basically like, can you think? Can you write? <laughs> That's all we really need from you at this point. But um, the great part about consulting is that you can end up just doing a lot of things in a short amount of time. So I right. got hired for my ability to think and write, but very soon after I started being exposed to more data focused projects, 
Mm-hmm. So my first foray was actually through ArcGIS. So I did have, I took one class in college on geographic information systems and that helped. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very <laughs> random. <laughs> um, but I made a map or I made a couple maps for this report for my clients that were FEMA at that point called the National Preparedness Report. Okay. So I made a couple maps layering on some analysis that my co-consultants made onto these maps for this one report. And that really helped me inspire me to get more into data visualization. And you can't have visualization without analysis. So I took a very creative approach to getting into analytics. That's actually really interesting because um, as like, as uh, me and Mira have spoken earlier, we both have very untraditional paths getting to where we kind of wanted to pursue as well. So that's really interesting to hear kind of how you got to that. Do you, have you had any uh, specific influences in your life that have kind of driven you to the path of analytics in terms of like people around you and experiences around you? You know, I would say like, I wish I had it. I don't think people, um, when you think about technology, a lot of people don't think about data as a piece of technology. Whenever you hear like social groups in tech or or STEM, it's very engineering focused. And there is a lot of opportunities to exist in tech. Like I work at Google now, but I remember interviewing back way back when, and it just didn't occur to me that data could actually be used at Google. Like I myself had this focus of, oh, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a software engineer. I'm not like a technical engineer. What can I really contribute? But now that I'm there, data is really all around me all the time. So I didn't really have any influences. It was more um, just being able to understand um, what I was doing at work that just sparked my own interest and lots of Google searches later <laughs> became an <laughs> analytics specialist. Oh, that's really awesome. I think it's really important. Also, just going back to what you were saying earlier, how analytics and data science kind of, you need to think, like, it's not just, how do I phrase this? Like, you have to have a certain way of thinking. And right. I think it's it's really interesting that there's so many different people who come from different backgrounds that go into analytics and they kind of bring on their own thought process and you know like because you said you were doing international relations and that kind of factors factors into your skill set in analytics and like for me personally I did business economics and that kind of factors into how you think about like the the business Mm. and everything so I think that's really really cool and like I think it's a really good motivating factor for people who may may not think that analytics is for them but it's like you can honestly bring your skills any kind of skills into analytics what both of you said like Data is pretty much everywhere and you just have to find it. And like Mira and I are actually working on a project for uh, coming up with natural language processing. And we were just thinking about like project ideas and we were just like, there's data pretty much everywhere and choosing a specific project already makes it difficult. So I think the, I think you saw the beauty of uh, data in technology. And I think it's really exciting that you're kind of pursuing it as well now. Yeah, that's actually really cool um, with the natural language processing. We can talk more about that offline because I <laughs> definitely have some thoughts for a project as well in that, um, in the social concepts. Mm-hmm. But so I, 
I saw on your LinkedIn that you're also pursuing a master's degree and that that's like amazing. Like you're working and you're pursuing your master's degree. Um, how do you go about managing your time and like everything that comes with being in school? Cause me and Ankit know it's yeah. really difficult to even just <laughs> yeah. be in school. I am not great at managing my time <laughs> in all honesty. Um, I think, uh, yeah. I am not great at managing my time. It really is something that you just kind of have to do. So I tend to overschedule myself, honestly, um, because that creates requirements for me to do things. If I have a work deadline and I have a school deadline mm-hmm. and a, like a personal deadline, that gives me such limited time blocks to accomplish goals that I notice when I just have too much free time, I won't get anything done because it just always seemed like, oh, there's more time. There's more time. So right. scheduling myself a, a lot of activities helps to make me more productive. Along with, I mean, so do, along with doing a lot of things, it kind of also comes with the factor of being like burned out at times. So how do you have any tips about avoiding burnout? Yeah, um, I think avoiding burnout is one, a very self-reflective journey. You need to know yourself and you need to really understand um, when you, where stress exists, where stress exists in your body and be very attuned to, um, do you feel tension in your shoulders? Do you feel tension in your, your chest? Where is this leading from. So I think being very in tune with yourself um, helps to avoid burnout because it kind of sends like trigger warnings. Right. Like if I start having like, if I, I notice that it's harder for me to fall asleep at night because I have so much going on in my mind, instead of just looping through what is going on in my mind, being able to recognize that that is a trigger to being burnt right. out. Right, right. I also think having rituals um, that you can insert throughout your day is really helpful for me as well. So I have like first wake up in the morning, I really should be exercising, but I don't. (laughs) What I actually do is I spend about 30 minutes to an hour uh, going through all my plants. So I have about 40 personal plants in my house. So I go and check how their leads are doing, seeing any new growth, seeing if anyone's dry and needs to be watered. It's something that just slows down my mind, especially early in the morning, because I'm a morning person. So I can tend to be very active as soon as I wake up. But taking that time for me is very therapeutic, especially if I made my coffee before I start taking care of my plants, just having that cup Um, and going through these things that I care about really helps to set the tone for my day. I really like that. It just thinking about it makes me feel so relaxed, honestly. (laughs) Um, Even as something as simple as like, when I notice that I start to get super stressed out in the middle of the workday, I light scented candles that are energizing or relaxing or whatever I need. It doesn't need to be something that's like at the beginning of your day or the end of the day, just rituals that you can infuse throughout your day. Yeah, I actually, I really like that because you're right. It sets the tone for your day. Like uh, Mm -hmm. you're not so stressed because you're starting off with something that's going to help you relax. 
And I definitely, I want to see your plants. You have so many plants. Yeah, I'll send <laughs> pictures for uh, the podcast when yeah. it launches. Yeah, I'm going to share it out. Um, and then, so next, I actually wanted to go back to, you mentioned how you're a first-generation student. Um, so I'm also a first-generation student. And for me, it was kind of tough, like kind of figuring out that path on your own if you don't have somebody kind of to look up to. Um, thankfully, I had my sisters, but how was mm. that for you? Um, It was extremely tough for me. The responsibility to, one, be successful because I, my parents have the the idea that you only are successful if you're an engineer or a doctor or or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So even the idea of international relations really scared my parents. So I had to be confident in the decisions that I would make for myself because this was a completely new territory for um, my parents and everything I wanted to do. I also went to school. My So I'm originally from Dallas and I went to Boston University. And so even the idea of going over a thousand miles away from my parents for school was something that they had to adjust to. So it was pretty tough navigating that, especially being uh, Ethiopian American, I identify as being black. So I didn't know about uh, HBCUs when I was applying to college because no one had ever talked to me about that before I came from a pretty close knit Ethiopian community. So most of the black people that I knew were Ethiopian. Okay. And a lot hadn't explored HBCUs at that time. So there's definitely a lot of considerations that I like didn't, I just didn't know about scholarship opportunities, getting internships. I don't think I got my first internship until my junior year of college because I went to college and found out that you needed internships. (laughs) But I also being like a first generation American and needing to pay for school, I prioritize getting on campus work instead of internships. So those just, you make a lot of decisions Laura, you have a lot of critical decision points that I think are beyond your years yeah, um, I totally. when you're a first generation. I totally agree. I can totally relate to like everything you said with your parents and how you're moving so far away and they might, they're not totally on board, but you also have to kind of do what you need to do for yourself. Yeah, it, it makes it is nice that it gives you a level of maturity. And I think that also going back to the way you think about things, you have a unique vantage point where you have to become an adult earlier. Um, and you use a lot more of your critical thinking skills and you use a lot of, um, you. it takes a lot of confidence because you have to justify a lot of your decisions yeah. earlier than I think a traditional um, person who had two college-educated parents that, that were college-educated in the United States. So they've been through the academic system um, and like are exposed to those things or, pe- or parents that have very corporate American jobs, the traditional like, you know, white-collar jobs that know how to navigate the industry or know how to navigate getting into a well-paying position early on. Right. I think that kind of like segues into our next question. Um, Like you were mentioning how even when you were going to school, you didn't know about like HBCUs and all that. So like in in a career in STEM, as a woman of color, like what are your thoughts on diversity in the industry and what are some challenges that you've faced? 
Um, I think that one thing we don't do a very good job in the STEM industry is that we don't tell people that there are a lot of opportunities to exist in STEM. Again, for an example of data analytics, that's not something that is like broadly shared. It's not talked about a lot. It's a very niche community that you don't see at technical conferences. It's something that like data has its own conference. It's not at these larger conferences like Afrotech or I mean, I guess Grace Hopper does a little bit with data, but it's not the forefront as an opportunity pipeline. So I think something we don't do a lot of is talk about even being like a product manager or program manager. These are very viable opportunities in STEM, but we, we just don't like pitch it. We pitch being an engineer. We pitch coding. We pitch um, like software engineering. We don't pitch product, how to be a product manager, what that looks like, what that role looks like, what are the skills that you need? And a lot of the skills that you need um, in those ladders are more soft skills, actually, and not these hardcore technical skills that people think you need to go to a boot camp or um, get all these like certifications for. I, I think if we just pitch more opportunities, that would be a great way to get more people of color and women of color into the STEM field. I think that kind of leads perfectly into our next question. So we were, uh, as data analysts especially, we were kind of wondering, like, what do you think are specific skills which an aspiring data analyst should possess in terms of like technical skills as well, as well as soft skills, which you kind of spoke about? I think soft skills are definitely critical thinking. I would also say um, looking into like learning more about how people make decisions and how businesses make decisions. That's a very uh, unique, data analytics is a very unique industry in that it sits at the crossroads between business and technical skill. Like I can do all the analysis in the world, but if I can't communicate my data and I can't tell people why this data is important into their decision-making process, mm-hmm. what I've done is kind of useless. It's just another um, like reference mm-hmm. or it's just something else to cite. It's not really anything that's informative and useful. Right, right. I think that's a really good point. I think storytelling is a very important aspect of analytics and we all need to communicate what we do in terms of code like not everyone in the world is going to understand what you've written like a for loop or an if statement yeah you need to be able to explain what you have done in a simpler manner for everyone and i think that's kind of the bridge between as you said data analytics is a bridge between uh, technology and uh, the business side of things so i think that's a really good advice do you have any, can you talk a little bit more about like telling meaningful stories and how to tell meaningful stories about a business with data? Yeah, you know, I actually listen to a lot of one TED Talks because I'm sure everyone does. That is a great form of storytelling. I also listen to just a lot of interviews. I, I think people underestimate the skill it takes to pull people out of their shell and to get to the core um, interesting information that resides within someone's experiences right. and someone's thought process. So I do watch a lot of interviews to see how um, 
interviewers and journalists get to the core meet or get people to open up to them because in a business setting, a lot of people know what they want at a high level, but they don't generally give you a lot of information uh, that is useful from you from a data perspective. So people can say, I want this end product. I want this graph that tells me X, Y, and Z, but like you need to be understand what it takes to get to that graph. So understanding the full um, data pipeline. So it starts with like, what data sets are available? Do you have this information? What is your timelines? What are your ultimate goals? Because from the business side, people can think that they want the graph that shows X, Y, and Z, but you actually may want a scatter plot. Like you won't know until you ask better questions. So I think interviewing um, practicing your interviewing skills really helps you get better understanding of what people need. And on the technical side, back to that element, I do think you need things like SQL. I know Python is super like savvy and visible and you see it on everybody's job descriptions, but I actually yeah. think a lot of tech companies still work on SQL. Like Facebook still works on a lot of SQL. Google still works on a lot of SQL. Python is great, I think, for uh, advancing your skill set, but it is also kind of rooted in SQL language. Yeah. Um, so I would say start with SQL and then move on to Python. And then after that, I think learning some visualization softwares and going back to critical thinking, understand what softwares are good for what kinds of projects. Tableau isn't the best solution for everything. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. But learning one software is it makes it a lot easier to learn other softwares. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to make a couple of comments on a couple of things that you said. I think um, like in terms of storytelling, definitely being curious is so important. Like you need to ask the why questions like you can't just go along with whatever results you're getting. So I think we've been kind of learning that in our program as well, where they definitely focus on storytelling and making sure non-technical audiences also understand because when you're presenting to like executives they don't care about what you're coding usually <laughs> so yeah you know, like kind of the insights you have to tell them so I think that was really helpful to share with our audience um, and I think in general I, the, doing this podcast for us and I kind of what you spoke about doing interviews so with the podcast we usually send questions what we're going to ask to our uh, to our guests pretty much earlier and I think writing those questions and thinking about the why, and as you said, kind of the interviewing process kind of gives you a lot of insight into being curious. And definitely, I think this is, I think for the past few guests, which we have, my curiosity has definitely increased as compared to when it was when we started the podcast. So it's definitely grown a lot. And I think, as she said, listening to interviews is a great way of improving that. Totally. And even the follow-up questions that you all ask me, you analyze what I say, you take it in, and then you find anywhere that I may have left information out or somewhere that makes you even more curious and you tailor your question so that I can provide you more information. The more information you all get, the better you are able to accomplish your task, which in this setting is getting to know me, but in a professional business setting, it may be how to achieve your um, key key results, your objective of the quarter, um, being able to make a decision to close down like a certain pipeline. 
So since we're kind of talking about interviewing each other, um, do you have any advice for somebody who might be actually like interviewing uh, for an analytics career? Like, can you tell us what that looks like for someone? Ah, that is a great question. I think a lot of people um, need to work on the STAR method. It's how you pitch yourself. It's how Mm -hmm. you pitch what you were able to contribute. A lot of people um, talk too specifically about, I was able to write this many lines of code. I created two dashboards. But what was the impact of the work that you did? Why did you need that many lines of code? Uh, What were you a lead on the dashboards? Were you in charge of the design documents? Did you um, do the, like, the user experience for the dashboard or did you just provide the data to populate it and why were any of those steps important so being able to move to a more impact centric point of view when you're answering interview questions is something that uh, a lot of people need more work in because especially going back to like people that just came out of college and everything Mm -hmm. your school's resume people are a great starting point, but they are very focused on, tell us what you did. And it's not until you start to navigate the career world on your own that you realize no one really cares what you did. People care what what the impact was. Yeah. I think that's a really good advice because uh, when Samira and I are also applying to jobs at the moment and we were just very curious. And I think looking at the why of things is extremely important because Rather than just showing your skills, you need to show why you kind of did those certain projects and what's the impact of those projects. And I think that's really good advice, specifically for the interviews. Uh, and if you want to learn more about the STAR method, definitely check out Instagram. There's a post about it as well, which um, you should definitely check out if you haven't already. Um, I think the STAR method is an extremely important method for interviews, especially because... Um, do you want to talk about more about it, Mira? Well, so I was actually going to mention uh, also with like resume building. We've definitely been kind of taught more so to write about the impacts we've made and like quantifying things. Yeah. And I think you should definitely take that to an interview. Cause yeah, you're right. Like that you kind of want to know about more about the impact than just the, the, the things that you may have done. So. Exactly. Um, and also another thing is like, so do you have any advice in terms of like, you spoke a little slightly about it, but like about resumes, do you have any advice for applying to jobs and everything? How do you got kind of get started in the field of analytics if you're interested in it? Yeah, resumes, the thing that I comment the most on when I review resumes is that people don't have numbers. You're not telling me if you reduced processing time for something, if you inc- uh, you made something more effective, if there was an audience of like 10 senior leaders, how many stakeholders you worked with to develop a deck. There's so many opportunities to add a quantitative and uh quantitative metrics to your qualitative storytelling on your resume. I think STAR goes beyond the interview. There is a STAR method for your resume as well that shows impact, what you did, and then why you did it. And it doesn't need to be a huge long blurb. There's definitely, of course, make it uh, streamlined and succinct because it is a resume, but that impact and your responsibility needs to be fleshed out with more quantitative numbers right. or quantitative metrics. Yeah, I, I think that's really good advice. I think that's something that 
I was missing in my resume for the longest time. And like after adding it in, it just not only sounds better, but it also gives them the idea of what the actual impact was like this whole time. The theme I feel like we're talking about is the impact that you make. You want to be able to show that to them. Right. Um, and then uh, actually kind of going back to earlier, you mentioned um, kind of, it made me think of imposter syndrome a little bit when you were mentioning how, you know, uh, you feel like maybe, I think you were talking about engineering or like being a doc or I can't remember specifically, but in analytics, like you, you feel like you maybe didn't belong because you're not an engineer. Um, do, have you uh, kind of had to deal with imposter syndrome as well? Like I know I definitely have. Do you have any advice or like maybe your experience on that? Yeah, I uh, imposter syndrome is such a interesting topic because it's not really something that's coming from within you it's a it's a social construct it's people around you that ask you questions in a way that makes you second guess yourself that makes you feel like you're not sure about your answers and I will say I think for myself being a first gen American and having to make a lot of decisions throughout my life uh, pretty independently, that's really helped me solidify a confidence within myself that I'm able to bring to my jobs and positions that I'm used to having to defend my choices. So I think a way of combating imposter syndrome is being able to defend your choices to yourself before you go and present them to other people, which goes back to also being able to interview others um, and understand where the gaps are. So if I just showed you a, a slide deck that had a graph on it, being able to think through the questions people may ask me that look off or confusing or the whys, if I have answers to the whys before I go into a position or a presentation, that helps to um, at least instill confidence within yourself. Like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. No matter what the outcome of the meeting is, if it is a decision to change direction or there was something that was missed, like a lack of communication or a breakdown in communication, that's not reflective of me because me going into the, because when I went into the meeting with all the facts that I had, I know I was sure of hey. what I had to present. So it's really taking, and I think that goes back to your question about managing time. I think that's something you have to build in time to do before presentations. It's very easy to quickly whip something up, or sometimes you get deadlines that are like, oh, turn this around in 30 minutes, turn this mm -hmm. around in one hour. And you're not always able to build in that time to reflect and ensure that you gave the best possible answer with the time that you were allotted. But I think it's yeah. really important to build in some time for you to just take a step back from your work product and ask yourself, where are the gaps in this? I would say, I feel like that also goes hand in hand with storytelling. Um, Cause you're kind of reflecting on what you're doing and what the information you know is, and it allows you to kind of tell a better, more cohesive story as well. Yeah, totally. And kind of going to your point as well, time management is not something which is the easiest, but kind of taking a step back is important as well. And it's important to take out time for not only seeing the gaps between things, but also for yourself as you kind of were taking, like talking about earlier with your rituals and everything. So it's like, we kind of have to take a step back and see like, okay, 
is like am i okay at this moment am i stressed out and i think what you kind of how you define is what's it's something which i never actually thought about like it's actually impacted by the way others ask you questions you kind of start doubting yourself imposter syndrome is a lot about being doubtful in your own capabilities at times and i think taking that time to actually analyze what you have as an individual to offer to a company or to just a project in general is really important uh, and i think that's really good advice which you've just given to our listeners we also um be uh, going back to the social element of things uh i think that at least for myself being one a first gen to being like a very high achieving person or a person who strives to achieve a lot in my life um we tend to take failure or doing things wrong as an indictment of who we are like we are wrong we're not good at this and i think developing being developing the skill of being able to accept critical feedback and separating what you did from who you are is also uh very important to combating imposter syndrome because it creates a boundary to protect yourself between what others say about you and where and it helps you really be able to balance where you're putting your value and your worth are you valuing your skill set and the opportunity to grow more than the feedback that someone is giving you i think that's really good advice in your experience is there something which you think that people in general should try to do in order to uh, kind of like accomplish their goals or to succeed is there any general advice which you might have i would say i'm taking this advice for myself as well but it take your time like with yourself life is a journey and people really do find what they're passionate about at random points in their life you don't need to have it all figured out by 30 you don't even need to have it all figured out by 40 you will never have it figured out like my love of plants was something that started a long time ago but i never knew how to translate it into a lifestyle like i used to buy fresh flowers all the time i would take nature walks and just be amazed and just sit in an awe of grand the grandeur of trees the variety of plants that existed around me the way that plants can bind up some houses uh some are ornamental and then the ecosystem around it it's something that i always observed but i never knew how to include in my life and that's something i discovered in my late 20s and something i'll continue to now spend my life doing and i didn't know that at 21 22 so i think being gentle with yourself is definitely advice in accomplishing your goals because your goals change pat your passions change you as you are exposed to more you have more opportunity to become a new you right and i think finding things you're passionate about will definitely make you more committed to accomplishing goals within your passion areas i think that's this is really solid advice because a lot of us try to put timelines on certain things like how it should work out and when kind of things don't go the way we want we kind of start taking it really hard on ourselves 
it kind of i mean it kind of affects our mental health very negatively at times so totally really, yeah i think it's a really solid advice which you've just given that putting a timer on things can definitely um it's not the way to go yeah i was going to add on uh i really appreciate that you said to be gentle with yourself um just also going back to imposter syndrome and everything like i'm just sitting here thinking about how hard i am on myself about all this but like i think it's really important at the end of the day to first reflect which is something we've all we've been talking about during this episode and reflect on your capabilities and have confidence in yourself and to be gentle like i i really like that that really resonated with me totally i don't remember what tv show i was watching this weekend but someone in a random show said that be careful what you think about yourself because you then go into the world and look for the world to validate mm-hmm. your own thoughts. So if you are telling, talking to yourself at home and telling yourself like, oh, I made this stupid mistake. This was dumb. I did this dumb thing. You then go out into the world. And when you get this critical feedback from other people or have people questioning certain things that you do, you internalize that as validation of your own thoughts. And I think right. that definitely definitely contributes to a lot of people's imposter syndrome because they're not they don't they're not nice to themselves in their quiet times in their alone times which I get especially being again someone that strives a lot to do a lot wants to accomplish a lot I talk to myself and tell myself like I'm not on top of my craft sometimes like I tell my I chastise myself for procrastinating when I'm tired and then I sit and think about how I'm too tired to do my work, but I'm not doing my work, which is now making me more mentally tired. So I go through those loops too. And it's something that I work on daily to unlearn. I think it's really important to remember that we're all human. Uh, We're all not superheroes. So it's important to kind of take a step back and be more aware of like our kid, our our battery levels. Like my dad's like, your Mm. battery is down, you need to relax now. So I think that's a really good advice. Yeah. So uh, where are this, where can our listeners find you if they have any more follow-up questions or would like to connect with you? Um, I think LinkedIn is probably the best. I will say I am not the best at checking it all of the time, but I think I use LinkedIn as a great way to um, filter the communication and the things people need from me. And so it may seem externally that I'm not the best at checking it, but I actually use that to block off my time when I have things to give. Like I have the time and capacity to give back to people. But yeah, I think, thank you so much for like just speaking with us today. I think we have fantastic conversation about just uh, data analytics and also being human at times. So I think it's, I'm really excited to release this episode. Yeah, I really appreciated all the themes of today's episode, like, you know, uh, being human, being gentle with yourself, all of that. And thank you so much for sharing insights about analytics with us and our audience. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're so welcome. I love today's chat and I'm very excited to see more of the podcast that you all release in the future. Yay. Well, thank you so much. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe on both YouTube, YouTube and Spotify. And thank you for listening. All right. Thank you, listeners. Bye. Mm-hmm.